Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hi, guys. Hello. We have a really special guest today, a really, really special guest, and and this is Mead's pastor, who I feel like I know because we talk about him all the time, and he's given <laughs> us some really like well wise counsel through Mead. And so we wanted to have him on today to talk about lots of things, like what does the Bible say about alcohol, and what does Jesus say about alcohol, and what does the Bible say about addiction, and all this good stuff. So yeah, Mead, tell us more about Pastor David here. Yeah, so welcome David, thank you for joining us. We're so excited that you accepted our invitation to join us. I've known David for a couple of years since he became the senior pastor at our church. And I just have to say that, you know, in the few years that I've known him to say that my faith has grown, you know, more than it has in the past couple of years under his teaching and leading and coaching and pastoral care than it has probably in all the other years of my life combined. And so he's been such a gift to our church and to my family and to me. And so we wanted to bring him today to be a gift to y'all too. And seeing as how Christy and I are not biblical scholars, we're not theologians. I always have trouble saying that word too, which I just nailed it. Yay. Good job. (laughs) Yay. We thought it would be fun to have David kind of join us and talk through some of these things because we do care deeply about the integrity of the word and the Bible and doing this in a way that is honoring and not just what Christy and I think or, or interpret. So thank you, David. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Hey, thank you. It's my honor and a privilege and pleasure to be with you guys today. And I just want to thank you for your podcast. I've listened to all of your episodes so far. And I'm really impressed with just the fact that y'all can take something that y'all contextualize around wine and alcohol, but taking principles for getting unstuck. And regardless of whether that's your contextual struggle or feeling stuck, those principles that y'all have been talking about, y'all can take to you can take to any area of life where you feel stuck. And, and y'all are given like scientific and spiritual vocabulary for it. So that's really good too. So you guys are doing a great job and it's a pleasure to be with you guys today. Thank you. Thanks. That means a lot. We appreciate it. And it's, it's, on, it's ongoing. You know, we're learning. And as we learn, we like to be able to kind of share what we're learning. And, and it is fascinating how overlapping this is. To everything. I think that was one of the biggest things for me in this journey is I found freedom from alcohol through doing this work of paying attention to what my thoughts were and getting in, you know, changing my desire for alcohol, which changed my behavior, like, you know, on a very like basic level. Mm-hmm. And then seeing how that translates to just so many different things and then bringing it back to like, well, like why, why is that the case? And, and, you know, that's where our expert comes in. So, you know, like, if you could just kind of, you know, we've touched on this before, but from your, from your view, like why is it important to pay attention to our thoughts, to take our thoughts captive and how does that direct things for us and how we're, how we were designed? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a pretty loaded question. So it just kept me off when I start rambling on too long, but I think, I think just 
succinctly, there's a connection between beliefs and behavior. Our actions are directly linked to our thoughts. And so what your belief system is obviously going to shape a pattern of, of life and how you do life. But now, obviously there are things that you can do that are outside of your belief system or what you would, you know, hold to and what you are to articulate as your belief system. And so we have numerous examples of, of people that act outside of the boundary of their belief system. But there is obviously this direct link between thought life and your, your actions and the weird way that God has wired us is that those things aren't like separate and disconnected. They're interconnected. So when we have a belief system or a thought that leads to an action, then that thought is actually reinforced in the wiring of our body and our minds to like then make the desire a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger, and thus harder to get unstuck when we're in this unhealthy cycle of behavior. So they're deeply connected. Meet, I've heard you mention that there's the mention of the word mind over 100 times in scripture, and that's true. There's also the word heart is mentioned over 800 times in scripture. And in the context of the Old Testament, the heart was kind of an all-inclusive word that Hebrew people would use to describe not only the seat of emotions, which I think is what most people usually associate with the heart or the literal, you know, physical heart. It's a source of life, but it encompasses more than that in the Old Testament. And so you have to kind of weed through the use of it and put it in proper context to understand how it's used. And sometimes it's used to describe our thoughts and our intentions. So you've got the 100 uses of the word mind, which is like exclusively means the context of our thoughts and our intentions. But then when you see the word heart in the Old Testament specifically, and sometimes in the New, but but specifically in the Old Testament, you have to make sure that you understand the context. In fact, the first time the word heart is used is, is in Genesis chapter 6, 5. And that's where God basically brings kind of the, the judgment of the flood on the earth. And it was because of the intention of the thoughts of the hearts is the phrasing there. So the first time the word hearts used in scripture is actually connected to contextually the intentions and the thoughts that we have. The demonstration and the manifestation of that was evil upon the earth. So we see early, 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 early in scripture that there's this connection between thought and and our behavior. And though the word like mind or hearts not used, obviously when it comes to the fall of man, Genesis chapter three, the precursor to Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit and the manifestation of sin, the actual sin was the distrust, the disbelief in God, or also even in a recognition that they lacked something that God had bestowed upon them. They were created in the image and likeness of God that they then had disbelief about. So what you see from Genesis chapter three, though it's not stated directly to mind, thought, intention, the temptation was a deception. It was a myth. It was a lie that led to the behavior. So there's just like all the way from Genesis three, Genesis six, mention of the word heart, mention of the word mind. There's this connection between how our behavior is like preceded by our beliefs and then how the behavior reinforces or starts to break down. I mean, it can, can work the opposite way too. So anyway, was that helpful or so good? Don't need to say more. Yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to sit back here and take notes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, do it. I know. Let's go. I know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, it was just, I don't know if you want to go to like how we receive that or how we process that and use that to, to our benefit or, or what even scripture would say about that. But yeah, I was going to say, yeah. So taking that and seeing, 
I think that's where my initial discussions with you, David, were around this idea of like, I've learned the psychology, like I've learned the science mm-hmm. and, I, and I know that it fits together because I mean, I know like, so, but like, how does it, how does it interrelate? And, and I think that's what, you know, has obviously spurred a lot of our conversations around this. It's like, I want to know why for me to change when alcohol was taking up too much space in my life. And, yep. and I used to describe it as this, like, it was my heart. It was my heart before I even had this idea of, you know, all the rest of it, before I looked at it on a deep level, it was like taking up too much play- space in my heart, in my life, in my thoughts, in my world, not just the time that I was actually drinking it. And so, so I guess, you know, understanding what was so valuable for me was understanding the psychology of how, okay, well, if I have these beliefs, these stories that I say, and for instance, if I say things like, well, but Jesus drank wine, and I realize that that is a, you know, that's a justification I'm using, confirmation bias I'm, I'm using because I'm feeling this conflict, right? That like, I don't want to be doing this, but I'm doing this thing, and I'm not just able to change it. And so understanding how this fits together, how, how we're made, how we're designed and like what to do about it, I think is obviously where this, you know, com- com- conversation started for, for me and the questioning of it. So, so yeah. So what, what can we do as a way of, you know, doing this work? Yeah. Well, and you address the scientific part and I'm not a scientist. I wanted to be in medicine and the God interrupted my life and called me into ministry. So, so maybe I could have been on your podcast in a different version of my life without God interfering in that and speaking more to maybe the neurological science of it. But from a spiritual standpoint, I think it's really interesting because like even going back to that word heart that contextually sometimes, you know, relates to what we would call our mind that then later in especially the New Testament is exclusively used. You know, there's a couple of passages that just kind of refer to like the fact that our heart can be deceitful and what's deceitful, like a physical heart's not deceitful. So contextually there, we know it. that's related to our thoughts. That's related to our thinking. A couple of prophets come along and they're like, hey, you need a brand new heart. You need a circumcised heart. That's a weird imagery to use for like our thoughts, but it is. It's like we need to cut away old. And then even David comes along. He messes up big time, which is a fascinating episode of like how even like you guys contextualize with alcohol, but how one thing can lead into another and can lead into another to where that that whole discourse that you had made before your question, like you can just fall into this pattern of behavior and moral failure. And again, I'm not trying to, I don't, I don't want to say like any of this, like moral failure, like this is just stuff we're dealing with. Right. So, but King David definitely had that. So in his prayer of repentance, he actually prays, create in me a clean heart. Oh God restore a right spirit within me. And so he recognizes this need like, hey, there needs to be like this this wiping away. And you've got that all in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes along and his very first message is this message of repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what is the kingdom of God? That's when God reigns and rules in our life. So repent for God's reign and rule is available to you. And the word repent's a fascinating word. When I was growing up, I grew up in church. I'm in Georgia. And a lot of times when I heard the word repent, I don't know, Christy and me about y'all's context, like, but when I heard the word repent, there was like a Bible that was like being pointed at you or a Bible that was being beat or a pulpit that was being, and I don't know that the pastors ever meant this, but what I always heard was stop doing what you're doing. Yes. But the word repent in the Greek 
which was the original language of the New Testament manuscripts, it's metanoite, which means to change the way you think. So Jesus was saying, hey, like do a U-turn in your thinking. Ultimately, that will lead to a change in behavior, right? Because we said beliefs lead our behavior, but change the way you think. Like you need a, like the prophet said, new mind, new heart, circumcised heart, a clean heart. And that comes only through, I would, I mean, I would argue that there are things that we can do in modifying behavior that can help. But I would say ultimately that comes, I mean, you brought me on, I'm a pastor, like through a, a connection, a true and authentic connection with God. And I would argue that comes through Jesus. So if our hearts are deceitful above all else, and we are made in the image and the likeness of God, God breathed his spirit into us as created human beings. The Bible also says he placed eternity in our hearts, eternity in our hearts. So there is this eternal longing that will only be satisfied through a relationship with the eternal, that being God, through Jesus Christ. So the only way to get to this, this like place where we're living in like God's desire for us, to glorify him in all that we do, and to experience the fullness of life, Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The only way to get there is to have a new heart. How do we get a new heart? We fill that eternity spot with only the thing that's eternal. And you guys know from alcohol and your conversations and that is it's temporary. It's very, very temporary. And everything outside of God is going to be temporary. It's going to be a temporary fix. So, so there's that connection. And then it's just continued and strengthened. Jesus says, repent, change the way that you think the kingdom of God, where God rules and God reigns in your life is available to you. He makes it available to us through his life, death, and resurrection. And then Paul comes along. He writes the majority of the New Testament. And one of, the, one of the best two sequences of verses is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where he says to present yourselves as a holy and living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. So it's not Sunday mornings at like 9 o'clock where you're you know, raising your hands, you're singing hymns, you're doing whatever. Presenting yourself as a set-apart person, a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he says in verse two, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And what's fascinating about that and me, this is where I think science is like catching up with scripture. God's like a God's revelation to us. We now know this connection that happens, but conformity, don't be conformed. That's like a, a change by external forces. So Paul writes, don't be conformed by the patterns of this world. So I've heard you guys mention too, like how y'all kind of started in this journey with wine and alcohol. And, you know, that first episode, you guys were just kind of diving in, like, this is like your story. And a lot of it was built around, like, I thought this is what I needed to do socially. I mean, and that's played a big part in y'all's conversations already. So what does that look like? Okay. So if you join in, because this is what socially it looks like that's that's the conformity that Paul's talking about it's an it's a word that means external pressure so your life started to be shaped outside in Paul says but be transformed and the word there is metamorpho which is the root word for metamorphosis or a change one that we would typically associate going back to elementary school to the caterpillar becoming a butterfly a change that takes place how not from conformity external pressure but from the renewal of your mind and inside out and here's the beautiful thing about that and y'all talked about it 
a new thought leads to a new neurological pathway. And those new neurological pathways then are strengthened by our behavior. And so, so there's this direct link to us becoming the people that God created us to be, where we glorify God in all things and we experience the fullness of life. Our thoughts then lead to behavior that then literally transforms the wiring of like our our nervous system, like the way that we think. And it just is the cycle that can strengthen itself to where you can start to see that you build on that. And it, here's the here's the tough part. And me, you and I have talked about this just from a spiritual standpoint. The pruning really never stops. <laughs> and no. so you can go from you know the subject of alcohol then to the idolatry of our kids or the idolatry of our kids' activities or the idolatry of whatever else. And and we can experience this like this continual freedom in Christ by knowing the truth, right? Changing our thoughts, knowing the truth, God's truth for us. And then when we act on that, it's strengthened. And so like we really do see this Romans chapter 12, verse one and two play out where our, our spiritual act of worship is to glorify God in all things. That's what worship is. We do that by living set apart and living sacrifice. Like this is a continual choice that we have to make, but the way that we get there is through the renewal of the mind. So anyway, yeah, long answer to your short question. No, but it's so good. And it's, yeah, it just, there's so many pieces of that though, that like, I want to like, I'm like, which one do I go to first? (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's go. Christy, you're quiet over there. You doing all right? Yeah. I'm just take like furiously taking notes. I love it so much. It's (laughs) so good because when I did this work originally and we not, you and I have talked about this, like, I was like, wait, does this even line up? And you know, and some of the stuff that we were trained in actually doesn't, but the bulk of it really does and not only that i love how you said that david like it it actually started (laughs) right and of course it did in the bible and we're just like learning it outside of this context but when you put the two and two together and i've I've said this to me a thousand times like i love coaching christians and i love coaching non-christians but it's so hard for me when i'm coaching a non-christian woman to not bring this stuff up because because (laughs) right yeah. Well, it just strengthens your ability to speak into that situation, right? And then coach them on how that they can they can get out of that. And and ultimately, we know that like if if you do believe in God, if you do believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, the Son of God, like we know the value. Like we know the value of that. But it's not to say that these truths, you know, the because they're they're God's truths, they they step out of the bounds of what we would articulate they just are true and so if we can frame that and phrase that for you know a general audience that's good too yeah yeah can we talk a little bit about like what the bible says about alcohol and what jesus (laughs) said about alcohol and not like that good stuff (laughs) sure yeah yeah i mean anything specific that you want you just want me to start start going well i mean i think when we were coming up with the name for this podcast you know the but jesus drank wine was something that i certainly heard in my bible studies and at, like women's lunches and stuff and it was an excuse a story that i used over and over with myself like it's in the sure. bible it can't be that bad etc cetera, etc cetera. but yeah and then Mead and i were talking about like do we is this what we're really going to call it and every, every and every time that we said the name to someone we got especially a Christian, we got this like visceral reaction. So we're like, yeah. okay, I think this is probably it. But then we went back so and good. forth of like, are we 
did he drink wine? Did he not drink wine? Did he drink wine at communion? Like, he, right. did he actually drink wine at Cana? We know he turned it into wine, but like, did he really drink it? And so I want you to tell me all the things <laughs> about all, all the of things, that. <laughs> all the things. So it's really interesting that like just even the title of the podcast and, and me and I, I guess kind of had a, an offline conversation about this. So the, the challenge when we read scripture or the Bible is that a lot of times we read it eisegetically, and that's a big, big like theological word to where we, we, we like put ourselves into the interpretation of that text. But the proper way of reading scripture is exegetically. So where we try to draw out of God's like meaning from the t- of the text, and so when we bring to to scripture like a question like, "Well, did did Jesus drink?" What we're doing is we're, we're automatically coming to certain passages and certain scripture, probably with the wrong lens. Not probably. It is with the wrong lens. I was just trying to be nice about that. So <laughs> yeah, it's just the wrong lens. And, and scripture is fascinating because it really is like, it's the same few stories just kind of retold and retold because we're human beings and we just need this reinforcement, right? And it, you really can go back to the first couple of chapters of the Bible and then just see that it's on repeat with just different characters involved, but the main character is always God. And that's, I think the, the thing that we need to make sure that we're careful about when we, when we talk about scripture is God's always the main character. And then we are like, we're, we're listed way down low on the cast list. If we're talking about like the story of humanity, because you have all these major players that are mentioned in scripture. And then obviously we're not you know, in there. And so the main character is God. So why the Bible begins in the beginning, God it doesn't say in the beginning, Mead or in the beginning, Christy or in the beginning, David, or it, it says in the beginning, God is, this is God's story. It's his story. And, and God didn't have to, but he created us in his image and his likeness. And we can talk more about the need for belonging. I think later, if we can get to that, or maybe in another episode, I don't know. <laughs> and so God created us in His image and His likeness, and created us for fellowship with Him. And so what that means is that I think, and we've already said this, we're created to glorify God, to reflect Him, to bring glory to Him in all that we do. But the way that we we're originally intended to do that is through fellowship with Him, a relationship with Him. And so you see, everything's kind of you know coming along great. And then this enemy of God, an enemy of God's people, shows up and starts to tempt with all these weird things. Like, and the temptation again, it's a it's a belief temptation. It's like, did God really say so? You know, did you hear God right? Can you trust God? It's doubt. Yeah, it's one hundred percent doubt, and it's doubt, and it just comes down to this: every temptation is doubt about who God is and who God says that we are. And the, the who God says we are part plays out with them like, okay, well, God knows that you'll become like him. So then automatically they go, okay, well, there's something lacking and missing in who I am. And so how do I get that? I get this from a glass of wine. Oh, no, that, that's, that wasn't the forbidden fruit in Genesis chapter three, just for clarity. But we yeah. get this in whatever it is. And for them, it was this, this fruit. And then that passes on down. But what's interesting is that they... They immediately hide from God and they immediately try to cover their nakedness and their shame. And that's a whole conversation too, like of how shame plays into, you know, our, our behavior. But what I love is they, they try to cover themselves because that's what we try to do. We try to make up for 
this broken relationship with God. We try to cover ourselves, try to cover our our sin. We try to cover our shame. We'll sometimes hide from God. And yet God's like, where are you? And I love that because it's not, it's not a question where God doesn't know where they are. God's omniscient. God knows everything. So God knew where they were. It was a question of like, Hey, like you were designed to be in fellowship with me. You were designed to be in relationship with me. So where are you? Like he wants to be present with us, but then he also replaces their coverings with his own coverings that he provides through sacrifice. So that sets up big picture, obviously the covering that we can have in Jesus and the covering that we need in Jesus. So big picture that sets it up. But, but then they live in this, like God restores them to relationship, but yet something is kind of broken. And then from Genesis four to the end of the book of Revelation, it's just kind of like a repeat of that cycle. God, restores us we're brought into back into relationship with god then we do that so we got we've got to go to scripture with that kind of lens first and say okay what is god trying to tell us in there and how do we fit this paradigm into that story and i think the heart of the question that people are asking when they say does jesus drink wine is okay if if i want to live in right relationship with god then what does that look like? And so what are the parameters around that? The danger is, and, and this is the this is this is difficult. The danger is that when we ask questions of like, did Jesus do? So we're trying to figure out how far we can go without crossing a line. And the other question would be to ask is like, how far can I get from the line? Not how far can I get to the line without crossing over, but how far can I get from the line? And that's the heart of a person that's been transformed. Like that's the mindset of a person that's been transformed. So did Jesus drink wine? Let's just answer the question. Chances are yes. I mean, chances are yes. Just culturally, it was way different than it is here and now. He did turn water into wine, which is his first sign that he did reluctantly, only because his mom begged him to. So would like to point that out. And as one of my Baptist friends said, I would have liked Jesus a whole lot more if he had not turned water into wine. <laughs> he was joking. He was joking. Yeah. So, um, but he did turn water into wine. But I mean, if you're leading, reading literally the text, like there, there's no indication that he actually drank it there. There's a reference, obviously, at the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper, depending on how you refer to it. There's the the implication that he was drinking wine, and that would have been rooted in like a tradition of thousands of years, going back to both Passover and even the way that covenants were established. Obviously, God established covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 through 15, where it would have been common at the establishment of covenant to drink wine. So you've got Jesus drinking with his disciples over this Passover that is establishment of a new covenant. So there, there's a chance that he was drinking wine there. And then he references, you know, drinking wine maybe in, in eternity with them. Later on, you have a couple of occasions well, one specific occasion where a little bit of wine is offered almost as a prescription for some some stomach ailments. But but really, that's about it. And, and I think that, again, if you were to take everything and go, okay, what does God want me to know from these stories? It's not related to, oh, well, Jesus drank wine. And anytime that we we're, we're walking in that danger zone, when we're, when we ask those questions, like that speaks to us trying to figure out how to make room for something that already by asking the question, we probably know inherently we shouldn't be making room for. And, and it's not just wine, by the way, it's like, 
everything and we can take everything and go, Hey, did, did God really say, or did he do, or, you know, and, and do that to every aspect of our life. So I don't know. Was that helpful, Christy? Yeah. At all? Yeah. No, totally helpful. Totally yeah. helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think about how, how that is in the way you describe that. Like, I mean, it's the, the, the stories that we use to get rid of that discomfort that we feel in response to, okay, like I'm having this realization that it is taking up more space in my life and what I'm not in touch with or what I'm not able to like communicate or say out loud is like, I do desire a right relationship with the Lord, but on one, you know, on one hand that's there, but that's maybe not front and center. And yet this, this is taking up much more space, but I also desire to be connected to people really. And so it's that, it's that conflict that comes in that you can see how easily then we, yeah, like want to like piece things together and use it to our advantage and how you're saying like, no, that's, that's not, not exactly, that's not doing it right. And in a, in a good way. So I love that explanation so much. And I, and I think that that's something that we get questioned on, before, you know, lots of times, like, well, did he or didn't he? And I love, love that you point out that like, it's really not relevant. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not relevant. I, I, lo- I like the way that you phrase that. And you guys talked about this in your last two episodes, a little bit about that discomfort and then the curiosity that comes from that. So if we'll just be in tune with like the discomfort that we have that causes us to ask questions like, did Jesus do this? Like the better question is, why do I feel this way? Why am I uncomfortable? And then if we recognize that, that there are certain things that we're relying upon, depending upon, and then we need to justify that, then that's going to obviously point to a need for repentance, right? A change of the way that we're thinking so that we're not depending on every night, a glass of wine, right? After the kids are in bed or multiple. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I think the curiosity question is a really helpful question to help us process. So before we get to like, did Jesus drink or did Jesus do this or did Jesus do that? Or does the Bible really say, or did God really say before we do that, we go, why am I asking this question? Mm, And usually the, why am I asking this question is I have something that I'm dependent upon that is discongruent with what I know I should be dependent upon. And it's leaving me wanting, it's leaving me longing, it's leaving me lacking and so if God says this, okay, then I can be resolved in this disconnect, in this discongruence, in this discomfort, to use your words. So good. Oh my gosh, time is flying and we, we haven't I, even gotten to like all the things because there's just so much here and there's so many different ways we could go with this. So we're going to have to... If we're going to have to have you back. If you're willing. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I love it. It's been great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, like, I mean, we definitely have a little bit more time. So, yeah, go ahead. So you said this to me, I think, and then she told me, and I thought it was so brilliant, that current like addictions as we know them, right, are basically mm-hmm. what the Bible refers to as I- idols. Yeah. And so can you speak yeah. to that a little bit, please? Because I think it's so good. Yeah. So let me also say addiction also flies in the face of, the work of God's spirit in our lives. We're told that God's spirit produces certain manifestations of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. And the last one is, is my, do you guys know? I don't self-control. 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 Thank you. I win. Yeah, I so. win. I got it first. You do. You do. So <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You're the winner. And so the self-control piece is one of those things that is always an indicator for me just in my personal life, but also in pastoral counseling where you 
if you become aware of something that is beyond, like you really struggle with control, like it's, it's an addiction, then that's contrary to the work that the spirit of God produces in our life. So obviously that's like in contrast. So we need to be on alert there. But to, to go back to your point about idols. So I don't know that idols are, I think somewhat hard for a lot of us, but the reason that we basically have idols is that there, there are things that can produce these fleeting moments of, you know, love or joy or peace, things like that in replace of close proximity, I I think to, to God or to God being central in our lives. And one of the ways that you can measure that, I think, and this is what I encourage people to do is to just look at your time and, and your treasure primarily. If you just look at your calendar and then you look at your checking account, you're going to have a good indication of what idols are. And some of them are really subtle. So, I mean, obviously if you're addicted to alcohol, that, you know, outside of denial, like if you're aware of that, like that's an, that's kind of an easy one to maybe figure out because you're spending so much time. You're thinking about it too all the time that, right. And that's the other thing about idols. You're thinking about them too. So time spent on or thinking about, and then also like how you're spending your treasure on it. Like, are you spending, you're spending money on it? $800 a month. (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah. That's not a shameful question. That's just really like, are you serious? Dead serious. Wow. So you got like a big, are you kidding that you guys got like a big raise when you stopped? Heck yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I live in in London. Cocktails are expensive here. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah, I can't, I can't even really fathom that. You don't even know what to do with that. Yeah. I know. I don't. And you're like, I'm praying for you. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not, that's not like one of my personal struggles, but I mean, there's other things that are expensive. Right. And you know, you start to think about idols and it. And so a lot of people just like kind of brush it off and they're like, I don't really have any idols. And then you go, no, where do I spend a lot of time? And you, you spent half of a mortgage payment on alcohol. You know, that's, I mean, that's an indication. You spend a lot of time thinking about it all day so that you could get to it at the end of the day, right? That's a good indication. So other things, Christy, <laughs> and I'll just speak for me, like it's really easy as a parent to make our kids an idol or even our kids' success or or their accomplishments an idol or our kids' activities an idol. Therefore, we have an additional idol in our life and we're passing on an idol to our kids by allowing so much time and so much effort you know, to be put into our kids' activities. And so it's fascinating to me, like when you apply the context of time and treasure to to the entirety of your life, what you can start to really process through is like, where where are some places where I'm, I'm really trying to fill a void that only God can fill? And in the absence of a like visible present, like deity, you know, like Jesus being with us, it's really easy to replace that with things that are visible and things that are tangible. And and so it could be our kids, it could be our kids' success and what we envision their success for their life looks like, press that down into their activities. You know, it's really easy for for some of us over here, especially graduates of the University of Georgia, to spend a lot of money on football and support the team. I mean, like the, the list really can go on and on. And and so like, it's really important for us just to keep like evaluating, like, is there anything that I'm removing God from the throne of my life from and then replacing with 
someone else or something else. And I know for me, a couple couple years back, I'd been consumed with like number of things. God called me to like a fast in the month of November from social media, from food and from working out. And I really realized that CrossFit had become an idol in my life. I mean, the running joke in CrossFit is like, how do you know a person does CrossFit? Don't worry, they'll tell you. It's true. <laughs> like, yes. It's like all consuming. And like, I realized how much time during the day I was like checking out my workout scores from early in the morning. You know, this is just ridiculous stuff. Realize how much time was spent both in like chronological time, but also like time and thought on social media stuff. And, you know, so I mean, the... The list can go on and on, but time and treasure are are big indicators of what could be an idol in our life. I love that. And I love the idea of looking at time and treasure without judgment, right? Like without, with curiosity. And Mm -hmm. because I think that's something that for us in the space of finding freedom from alcohol, like the tendency is to bring awareness to something that we're doing. And I mean, I mean, it's probably the tendency of all humans to bring awareness to something that we're doing that we wish we weren't doing and to judge ourselves for it. It's the counterintuitive thing is to be like, Hey, it's okay. And now let's get, you know, curious about what this is, but also like, you know, to your, like looking at time and treasure and getting curious about it, just, just see what what that looks like. And in the non-judgment of it, that's where you have that opportunity to see like, what are, what, what are the lies that I've believed that have, you know, led me to spending my time and treasure on things that are not sustaining me that because nothing will. Yeah, I think you said something that's really important in that too. And that's just the like non-judgmental aspect of kind of evaluating life. And we take our cues from, we take our cues from God and we take our cues from Jesus. He is the, he is the, you know, he and the father are one and, you know, the father has great love for us. And Jesus was the manifestation of that for us. And we take great cues from him. And, you know, he was way less anxious about like human sinfulness than I think we are. And I don't think that comes from a bad place from us. I think like when we see that, we go, hey, I want to get rid of this. I want to, you know, but to do it with a place where we can be transformed in our, our, you know, in our thinking experience, experience true freedom from something, true freedom from those, those different idols, I think is really, really important for us. And it has to start from a place of curiosity, not condemnation. You know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if, if there's not coming condemnation from Christ, then we, we don't need to have self-condemnation. We certainly don't need to listen to the condemnation of other people. So that's another yeah. conversation for another day, too. That's so good that we could have a whole episode on just that, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. And I was just thinking when you brought up the fruits of the spirit, like running through, just going back to drinking, running through the drinking, like that didn't bring me peace or patience or pretty much I'm just looking like, did it bring me anything like besides maybe 20 minutes of joy, which was, you know, artificially. And was it joy or was it just happiness that comes from the artificial high? Yeah, correct. Correct. It wasn't true joy. Correct. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. One of my guys in my wisdom council, he's a Christian counselor and he's like, he could be my dad. Like he's, he's old. He's a former chicken farmer turned Christian counselor. And he'll say, where are you getting, where are you getting that LJP? Where are you getting that love, joy, and peace? So where are you getting that LJP? And that, and maybe that's another filter for idols in our lives. Like, where are we getting LJP? And if it's not from, if it's not from the Lord, then, then we know that that's a false idol. So. Gosh, perfect. Right there. Yeah. Right there. there. Time for Tiny Tina. 
Yes. Yeah. So for our tiny Tina today, you know, if you've been following along, our, our listeners and you, David, have confessed that you have listened. So a uh, tiny new action, like one little tiny new action that our listeners could take from all that was given today that, you know, could help them just move forward and wherever they are feeling stuck in all the things. What would you, what would you recommend or invite them to do? Oh gosh, man! I really, for some reason, wasn't prepared and thought for the tiny Tina. Uh, I didn't. I didn't put that day. on your outline. I didn't put oh, that on your outline. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Gosh. So maybe it's just maybe it's just time and looking at time and treasure and exploring that, or I, I don't know. I like the LJP thing. Why can't we make that okay. be a tiny True. Tina? That sounds great, and I think yeah. I mean, where are you yeah, getting your probably, LJP? Yeah, Christy's question about Idol leading into that conversation. Yeah, where do you get your LJP? Where do you get your love, joy, peace? And if you're having a hard time processing that, then you can go to your calendar and you can go to your checkbook and you can see where you're spending your time and where you're spending your treasure. Awesome. So good. (laughs) Well, you're going to have to come back because we didn't cover a lot of the things we wanted to cover, but it's so good. I know I, w- I was learning and like, t- oh, like, oh, I have to like participate in this because I'm like learning and processing. And yeah, anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. Glad we have it recorded. <laughs> yeah. Listen to yeah. it again. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much for being here. We are so grateful for your time and your wisdom and your generosity and sharing and all the things. Thank you, David. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.